book of Revelation, chapter number 4. And I've enjoyed being in church tonight. I'm glad he loves me. Sometimes you can look at somebody else and say, I guess I could see how God could love them. And I can understand how God would save them. And I guess I could see why God would want them. But then you look at yourself and say, why in the world would he want me? You ever think about that? We say, boy, it's amazing that he'd save that Samaritan woman. Well, it's amazing he'd save you. Amen. Well, it's amazing that he'd give Bartimaeus sight. Well, it's amazing that he'd save you. It's amazing that he'd bring Lazarus up out of a tomb. Well, it's pretty amazing that he'd save you. Amen. It's amazing that he would uh, cure that manic of Gadara, get him in his right mind, put clothes on him, change his life. It's amazing that he'd save you. And you and I are debtors to grace tonight. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Lately, I'm constrained to be. God's been good to us, hadn't he? I've sure enjoyed being with you this week. And it's gone by quickly. And that's a good thing, by the way, because sometimes you go somewhere for two days and it seems like you've been there for a week. And that means it's no good. And then sometimes you're there for a week and it seems like two days, and I like that. And uh, I like it when you go to the end of a meeting and you think, we probably could have gone one more day. I hate it when you go the length of it and think, I think we might have stopped maybe two days ago would have been better, you know. But thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for hosting me and thank you, Preacher, for the invitation. And I've enjoyed staying with you. I've enjoyed being with the Harris Brothers and hearing them sing. I saw a flyer today on uh, the Internet where I'm with them again. That depressed me greatly. But uh, anyway, I thought this was one and done, but I'll probably see you two or three more times this year. And uh, so that'll be horrible. But anyway, I'm kidding. But I, I enjoy it. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing pictures from your wedding. If it goes on, if it happens. And uh, we're still praying about that. And I'm still not convinced it's a real person. I don't know that she's real. And I think I saw Elvis at the grocery store walking with your supposed fiancé. I don't think it's real. All right, <laughs> Revelation chapter number 4. Thank you for being here tonight and for visiting with us. It's good to have folks from Concord. Thank you for being here as well. Appreciate you driving and, and fighting through the snow. <laughs> Did you see that? When I, I was pulling in, it started flirty, and I thought, there goes the milk, and there goes the bread, and a state of emergency. And uh, we better call the White House, and uh, when Joe Biden remembers he's president, he'll have to do something about it. All right, Revelation chapter number 5, I shouldn't have said that, but he won't remember. Revelation chapter number 4. Revelation chapter number 4. We're just going to read the entirety of this chapter. It's not very long. It's just 11 verses. And then I'm going to give you the thought that uh, God laid in my heart for tonight. And uh, I was facing forward, so I don't know exactly who said it, but the lady who testified and said, really nailed it. Uh, usually most of the problems that happen in life, most of the times when I find myself getting in a place that is not revival, that is not where I want to be, it's because I've focused on something that is the wrong thing. What happens is I look too low. And when you look low, you see discouragement and depression and you see defeat and you see all the troubles and negatives in this world. And if you'd look high, set your affections on things above, then you can look above all that mess and see that there is still a God in heaven who's alive and well. And by the way, he's just as in control as he's ever been. It's not that he was, it's that he is. And by the way, he will be tomorrow when you get up in the morning. And I want to help us tonight. I pray it'll be helped to us tonight. Chapter 4, book of Revelation, verse number 1. The Bible said, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. Now after this, John is no longer on earth. John is seeing things in eternity. He's not living in the present necessarily. He's looking forward. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne. 
And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had in their head, on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal in the midst of the throne. And round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. In chapter number four, there is a door. In chapter number four, there is a voice. In chapter number four, there is a worship. But chapter number four really centers on a throne. All throughout this chapter, there's an emphasis placed on that throne. In fact, the word throne is found throughout the text of this chapter. And John, as he enters into his tour of eternity, the first stop on his tour is the throne. It's almost like he's being taught nothing else matters until you stop at the throne. The first thing you need to see for perspective to get the rest of it is the throne. John, I want to take your attention off of all the things that they sing about in their songbooks. And that's not wrong. And all the things they talk about in their testimony when it comes to heaven, and that's not wrong. But before we talk about gates of pearl and streets of gold and mansions over the hilltop, he said, I just want you to take some time and Look at the throne. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on that thought. Let me tell you about who's on the throne. Let me tell you about who's on the throne. Let's pray. God, I pray for your help tonight. I pray you'd help me preach with your power. And I pray for liberty in Jesus' name. Amen. Eternity is just as real as time. What you cannot see is just as real as what you, cannot, as what you can see. What I mean by that is what waits for us in the future is just as real and just as alive as what we're experiencing right now in the presence. We sing those songs, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, or I've just stopped by on my way home. And that is true. This world might be home to our body, but this world is not the home of the soul. I think about the song, To Canaan's Land I'm On My Way, where the soul will never die. And that's where we're headed tonight. I'm afraid we're so attached to the world that we don't really have our eyes set on things above. Sometimes we get so focused on things that happen down here. For us, it's hard to take that leap from thinking earthly to start thinking eternally. But I think tonight with the help of God through the chapter we're going to look in this evening, maybe we can take in a few sights and sounds that John saw when he got to look through the open door of heaven. The book of Revelation brings eternity very near to us.
I believe it draws heaven down to earth and opens the door and allows us to peek through. I told you on Wednesday night who John was. John's the human author that God uses to give us the book of Revelation. Of course, John, I said, was the last surviving apostle. He's a man of God. He's a preacher. And he's a prophet. He's the disciple that Jesus loved. Amazing, isn't it? That John got to lay his head on the breast of Christ and hear that heart beat, that heart that so loved the world that he was willing to go and die an agonizing death on the cross of Calvary. Not just for the sins of others, but for your sins tonight. In fact, the sins of the entire world. John's on the Isle of Patmos and John's been left for dead. I mentioned this on Wednesday that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And let me mention this. I don't know, but maybe John's attitude about his placement in life had a lot to do with him receiving the revelation that he got from God. I just wonder if John would have been bitter or if John would have been upset or if John would have been mad at God for him being on Patmos if God could have spoken to him the way God spoke to him. You know, sometimes God puts you and I in a Patmos kind of a place so that he can give us something there that we couldn't have gotten anywhere else and it'd be wise to remember not to get mad and not to get bitter and not to doubt or question God when you're in a place you might not have chosen for yourself because it might be there in the Mamertine prison it might be there in the fiery furnace it might be there in that pit of mire that God gives you something there that you might not have got anywhere else in this life so John is going to get a word from eternity now as we come here to book uh, the book of Revelation chapter 4 John is given access to peer through an open door. There are two times in the book of Revelation that a door is opened in heaven. There's a door opened here in chapter 4 when the church goes up. And then a door is opened in chapter 19 when the king comes down. In verse number 1, there's a voice like a trumpet that calls to John to come up hither. That phrase, come up hither, ought to ring the heart's bell of every born-again child of God in this place tonight because that is rapture talk if I've ever heard it. That voice like a trumpet sounds out and it calls John to lose all gravitation and to leave where he is and to go where God is. One of these days we're going to hear that same trumpet. There's going to be a shout ring out. The eastern sky will roll back like a scroll. The Lord's going to descend and call his children home. The graves will open wide. The dead in Christ shall rise. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air in a moment in the twinkling of an eye when the trumpet blows we're going to go we're going to take a flight without an airplane transportation on silver wings we're going to bid this world goodbye and by the way that could happen tonight it might happen ere the service is over that could happen before I finish this next sentence scared you half to death. This next sentence, I don't know the day and I don't know the hour, but I know Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming soon. Now you step out of verse 1 and you get into verse number 2 and John begins to take a tour of the sights and sounds of eternity. In verse number 2 it tells us John's first stop on his tour. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone on vacation or not. You go on vacation at tour bus and there's anticipation and they'll give you a map of where you're going to go and you can see every stop on the route on the tour. If you study out that tour map, usually if you look and you jump ahead like I always do, you find out they usually save the best 
for last. But can I say when it comes to John's tour of eternity that they're not going to save the best for last, but John's going to find out that they bring the best right up to the forefront. As she began reading, look with me in verse 2. It says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on that throne. As you read the book of Revelation, you find that word throne mentioned over 30 times. It's mentioned 12 times in chapter 4 alone. Think about a throne. A throne is a place of power. A throne is a place of position. A throne is a place of prestige. A throne is a place of pedigree. And now John has been given access into eternity. But before he sees the things that most of us talk about, and before he sees the things that most hymn writers write about, and before he sees the things that most preachers sing about, the driver of the tour takes John right to the foot of the throne. I looked up that word throne, and here's what it is. A throne is a place that is occupied by a sovereign, a king, or an exalted person of supreme power and authority. So a throne is an important place that is reserved for a very important person. Throughout history there have been thrones. There have been thrones that have demanded respect and reverence. There's been thrones that have conjured up fear and trepidation. There's been thrones that have brought peace for a season and caused people to rejoice for a time. Thrones throughout history have come and they have gone. There have been thrones that have risen, but all of those thrones have eventually fallen. They've come on the scene and then escorted themselves off the scene. They've been filled by a man and that man eventually died. They've been filled by a woman and then she died and it was vacated. They stood for a time but then they were lost to time. But this throne is different. This throne is not like those other thrones. This throne is not like the vacated throne. This throne is not like the toppled throne. This throne is not like the temporal throne. But the throne that John sees and the throne that John looks upon is a throne that time cannot erase. It's a throne that is never vacated. It's a throne with no fallen crown. It's a throne with perfect judgment. It's a throne of absolute justice. It's a throne of omnipotent power and a throne that brings in perfect peace. I don't doubt tonight if you and I could travel back in time and we could see some of the amazing thrones of history. Many of those thrones would cause us to take pause and ponder and admire of their majesty. I think about the throne of Ramses in Egypt. I think about the throne of Caesar in, uh, in Rome. I think about the throne of an Alexander in Greece. All of those would take note. We take note of their grandeur and see the gravity of the throne. But can I say tonight, this throne that John sees would make those thrones look like a piece of cast off furniture from some second hand store. This is a better throne. This is a more glorious throne. This throne goes far above and beyond any of those thrones. You read on through the verses that we're studying and the Bible gives insight to the throne. The Bible tells us that this throne as it becomes the topic of the scripture is number one, an eternal throne. Think of it. Heaven is a realm with no calendar, and heaven is a place with no clock. Heaven does not have a commencing, and heaven has no conclusion. And every inch of that celestial city is touched by timelessness and etched by eternity. Well, in verse number 2 it says, this throne is set in heaven. You know what that means? That means it's not in danger of rot. It's not in danger of decay. It's not at risk for destruction. There's no moth that can eat it. There's no rust that can touch 
touch it. This world cannot bring it down. This is an eternal throne. This throne tonight is not established on earth, so it is not captive to time. But this throne has been set in eternity. This throne is at the very center of all that is. It's at the very center of all that has been and at the very center of all that will be. It is the spring of creation and the center of all spirituality. It's an eternal throne. You say, where is it? It's up in glory in the holy of holies. It stretches its domain as far as heaven. It reaches as far back before the first second ever ticked off the clock. It goes as far in the future as the very life of the eternal God. It never has seen a time when it wasn't. There'll never be a day when it's not. It's an eternal throne. There's nothing that came before it. Nothing that'll stand after it. Neighbor, can I say presidents will come and go. Countries will rise and fall. But the throne tonight that John sees is an eternal throne. It's not a relic. It's not, a, it's not an antique. It's not been resigned to a mantle someplace. It's as real and relevant and alive as it ever was. John's first stop on his tour of eternity does not take him by golden avenues. He doesn't swing by a sea of glass. He doesn't see the redeemed singing their anthems. But first he has to stop at the foot of an eternal throne. This is introduction. Don't get discouraged by that. Read on down further. And we find it's not just eternal, but it's a beautiful throne. The throne that John sees is not just eternal, it's exceptionally beautiful. John is looking at a sight that mortal eyes have never seen before. The scene that's unfolding to John would find no comparable match among the landscapes, architecture, or fashions of this world. Precious stones are taken and used to describe what he sees. The reference to these stones is not talking about the size or shape of those stones, but the splendor and beauty of that stone. You see, when John looks on this throne. It radiates with unmatched brilliance and unrivaled beauty. In verse 3 it mentions those several precious stones in connection to the throne. It talks about jasper and sardine and emerald. It's very obvious from the record of the book that this throne has glory and majesty. Down in verse number 6 it says out from this throne comes a sea of glass that stretches forth and glistens like a crystal. Can you imagine what John is seeing as he begins to take in the panorama beauty of eternity. By the way of you, you and I will get to see one day as well. Can I say what John is seeing? I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man what John gets to see in chapter number 4. I say let man paint his picture, let man draft his blueprint, let man erect his monuments, let man compose his symphony, let man take his full mental capacity and physical strength and create whatever beauty he thinks he can conjure up and yet it would pale in comparison to the glory and beauty that John sees on this throne. Mozart move over. Picasso hit the road. Van Gogh just go home. I mean just take a back seat for a minute. You can keep your Eiffel Tower. You can have the Colosseum. The White House looks like a white shack when you compare it to the beauty of the throne in eternity. John's on a tour tonight. He just got on the bus. It's already getting good. He sees a throne. His first stop is not the golden streets or the river of life. He's not shaking hands with loved ones saying, I told you I'd meet you in the morning. But the first stop on his tour is a throne. Now you keep on reading and see this throne is not just eternal and it's not just beautiful, but it's a throne of promise and covenant. 
in verse number three, you can see it there. It says, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow. See that word, a rainbow, round about the throne. Verse 3 references that rainbow. Other thrones might have had some impressive garlands wrapped around them, but this eternal throne that John sees is wrapped up in a rainbow. On earth, we only get to see half of a rainbow at its best, but in, jo in Revelation, John gets to see the entirety of that rainbow. He sees that rainbow wrapped in a wreath around the throne. It totally encircles it. It engulfs it. It has no beginning, and it has no ending. It is complete. It is total and it is eternal just like the promises of the one who sits on it this rainbow is not like the modern idea of a rainbow this is not a rainbow signifying pride this is a rainbow declaring the covenant promise it's not just adoring this throne for appearance but it's a testimony to the character and the compassion and the covenant keeping of the one who sits on that throne if you go back to the book of Genesis you find that God gave Noah the sign of a rainbow to declare he would never again destroy creation with a flood well I'm glad in eternity that God remembers and keeps his promises you see this emerald rainbow that radiates around this throne tells John and everyone who reads the book that just as God spared his people his, his people on the boat Noah and his family from the worldwide flood thank God now he's getting his church out before the tribulation begins on earth that's a good place for a hallelujah that's a good place for an amen I'm glad I don't go halfway through. I'm glad I don't go all the way through. I'm glad I get out before wrath. I'm not waiting on an antichrist. I'm waiting on Christ himself. I'm glad for that what a sight it is. It's good to see that just as Noah got out before and rose up over judgment, so that promise rings out. We get out before and rise up over the judgment as well. Further into the chapter, we find this throne is not just eternal, and it's not just beautiful, and it's not just a place of promise, but it's a throne of execution of just, justice and judgment. In verse 5, it says there's seven spirits and there's seven lamps. They proceed out of this throne, and there's lightning and thunder. Now, being a Jewish man who's been converted, I'd say that John understood what all that meant. You study your Bible, and all those things speak of judgment and justice. So this throne is a throne of promise to the church, but it's a throne of promise of judgment to a lost world. John's taken in the sights and sounds of eternity, but the first stop's the throne. Now to get to the text verse tonight, I want us to consider not just the throne, but secondly those around the throne, and then ultimately we'll get to the one who's on it. The throne is just a seat, unless sitting on it is someone who's worthy and suited for it. The throne is just a seat unless those about it pay the proper reverence and respect to the one who sits on it. And as John takes his tour, he's introduced to now the inhabitants of the throne room. In verse number four, we find, I like this, verse number four says, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, I don't have all night to get into that, so let me give you the cliff note version. That's us, if you're saved. And that's pretty good, isn't it, that we're around the throne worshiping him. Thank God for that. And, but we see there those four and twenty elders. But then you go on down, verse number six and verse number seven. He sees some 
some strange things there. The second half of verse 6, In the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now here they are. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. So here's what John's seeing. Think about it. John is in the throne room. He's seen the throne, and now he sees those 24 elders around the throne worshiping God, and now he sees these beasts that are flying about. What a strange thing it'd be. They look very odd, no doubt. They're covered in eyes. They have six wings. One beast has the face of a lion. One has the face of a man. One has the face of a calf. And one has the face of an eagle. You say, what does all that mean? I don't know for sure, and neither does your Bible commentary that you read. I mean, it could be a lot of different things. I know four in the Bible is the number of, of the creation. I mean, maybe it means that God is in control of everything. I also know that Israel would march out behind banners in quadrants, and I know that four, they'd march out behind the banner of a lion, the banner of a, I understand all that. I don't know what it means. But what I know tonight is this, their job and their duty and their purpose is to fly around that throne and give honor, praise, and glory to the one who sat on it. It said in verse number 8, it says they go around, they don't rest night, uh, day and night, then they say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now think about it. John is fresh from Patmos, and now he's in the throne room. He looks and sees these multi-eyed, multi-winged things flying around this throne. There's a rainbow wrapped around it. There's lightning and thunder rolling. He sees those 24 elders with crowns and white robes, and as those beasts fly around, John hears them, and they begin to speak. He looks at them, and from around the throne, it begins to echo nonstop, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Now the throne itself is breathtaking, and the throne room itself is a lot to take in, but the main event and the main attraction is not the throne, and it's not what's around the throne, it is the one who sits on the throne. It is not the throne, but the throne sitter. It is the throne occupier or the throne dweller. Because it said in verse 2, he didn't just see a throne, he saw one sitting on the throne. Now these creatures had one purpose. Their purpose was not to draw attention to themselves. It wasn't to accentuate the atmosphere. They weren't adding ambiance, whatever that means. It's Spanish or whatever. They weren't doing that. Their purpose was to draw attention and to magnify and to worship and to lift up the one that is sitting on the throne. What they're singing is selfless. What they're singing is singular. And what they're singing about is focused on one thing and one alone. It is to bring glory and honor to whoever it is on that throne. Can you hear it tonight as they go around nonstop in a timeless place without any stop to their singing? And they echo it and anthem it throughout eternity. Hey, he's holy, holy, holy. He is Lord God Almighty. I can see John. That must have arrested his attention. 
he probably got his eyes off of the rainbow. He got his eyes off that sea of glass. He got his eyes off the sights and sounds of the elders. He no longer looked at the lightning and thunder. He thought, man, if they're singing for eternity about the one on the throne, I reckon I'd get my eyes off all that and get my eyes on whoever's on that throne. He took his eyes off of what was around. He said, hey, I want to know who is it on that throne. I can see those beasts. Maybe they call time out. John, wait a minute. One of them said, wait, don't worry about that rainbow. Don't you worry about that lightning. Let us tell you who's on the throne tonight. That crystal sea can wait. Those gates of pearl can wait. Those mansions can wait. First, John, we need to find out who's on the throne. Now, quickly, before I introduce who's on the throne, let me say this. Today, the hour in which we live in, if we're not careful, we're going to get discouraged. We're going to get jaded with all this because we get our eyes too low. You know what? There's a long list, and I could begin to list it tonight. I won't for the sake of time. A long list of things that could discourage us. From our spiritual stuff to political stuff to family stuff to emotional stuff to financial stuff to health stuff, you name it. There's enough burdens in this life to discourage us if we get our focus on the things of this life. But can I say tonight that above the struggles of today, there's an eternal throne in heaven. And above the problems of this hour, there's an eternal throne in heaven. And above the circumstance of your life now, there's an eternal throne in heaven. And I'm glad where that is. I'm glad there's no trouble on that side. There might be some discouragement down here but there's no discouragement up there there might be some conundrum down here but he's got it all working just fine over there and tonight let me encourage you take your eyes off of whatever that is and let's put our eyes back on the throne so I want to ask those beasts tonight who is it that's on the throne can you tell me a little bit about him what 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 is that individual on the throne well let's look at their song and find out what he's like when I see it here's what I see if I were to ask them who's on the throne I I think number one they'd say I'll tell you this he is holy she was in verse 8 what are they singing holy 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 John who's on the throne I want to know who's on. number one he's holy those beasts begin to cry out holy in fact they repeat that word three times signifying he's completely holy he's perfectly holy and he is totally holy around the throne it rings out without stopping holy 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 you say who is he I don't know yet but I'll tell you this he must be holy you see we've entered into the same place that Isaiah entered into whenever he said oh my I'm a man of unclean lips I'm undone Oh, there's one holy on the throne. There's a broad spectrum of truth presented in the phrase holy. But then he says holy, holy, holy. The beasts are saying, John, the one on the throne is intrinsically good. He is totally pure. He's completely clean and supremely above reproach. The one on the throne does not need righteousness because he is righteous. He's where it comes from. He doesn't need grace to cover sin because he has never sinned and he's the author of grace. He doesn't need atonement because he's never transgressed and he is the atonement. John who's on the throne, he is holy, holy, holy. He's holy in the past. He's holy in the present and he's holy in the future. He is holy God the Father. He is holy God the Son and he's holy God the Holy Ghost. Everything about him is holy tonight. He's he's holy in his love. He's holy in his mercy. He's holy in his compassion. He's holy in his 
care. He's holy in his guidance. He's holy in his word. He's holy in his purpose. He's holy in his grace. He's holy in his motive. He's holy in his agenda. He's holy in his ways. He's holy in his thoughts. He's holy in his plans. He's holy in his intentions. He is holy, holy, holy. His justice is holy. His law is holy. His standard is holy. His judgment is holy. Everything about him. He's consistently, constantly, completely holy. He's not just holy in what he does. He's holy in who he is. He is the source of it all. You know what that tells me? If he's holy, 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 I can trust whoever that is. I can depend on whoever that is. I can lean on whoever that is. I don't have to doubt whoever that is. He's not crooked. He's not a liar. He's not a snake oil salesman. He's dependable. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. I can cast my anchor into whoever he is and I'll be steadfast and sure and that anchor will hold. Other men may fail. Other people may fail. Other places may fall. But thank God he is holy today and holy tomorrow and holy today. He's holy, holy, holy. That's just who he is. Everything about him. He cares and he's holy. He, he loves me and he's holy, 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 holy. Number one, he's holy. Number two, thank God, he's powerful. You see, what do you mean? Just look at their song. I hate wearing the dark suits because then I get sprinkles all over me, spit everywhere. Pray for my dry cleaner. I'm trying to get an endorsement from Old Spice. All right, here it is. Second half of verse number eight. Holy, 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 but watch how they describe him. Lord, God, and Almighty. <clears throat> so for the first time, the text gives a title to the one on the throne. To match the three holies, holy, 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 now they give him three big, bold names. In fact, this title is found five times, and it's only found in the book of Revelation. All of eternity rings out and the ears of John are filled with the name of the one on the throne. You say, tell us his name. Well, here it is. He is Lord. He is God. And he is Almighty. Those three titles would tell John and all creation who tune in that whoever it is on that throne, man, he is in control. He is in charge and he is over all and he is exceedingly powerful. An earthly king's power only extends as far as his dominion. But this king's power has no boundaries because all of creation and all of eternity is his dominion. He is the ruler of heaven and he is the ruler of earth. He's the ruler of time and he's the ruler of eternity. Those golden streets can wait. That crystal sea can wait. All the mansions on every side can wait. First you gotta see who's on the throne. Can I remind you tonight he is Lord, he is God and he is Almighty. I understand there's a lot of mess down here that can discourage us. A lot of times you might think that we're outnumbered and overwhelmed but I'm glad tonight there's a throne above the mess. There's a throne above the trouble and there's one on that throne and he's not looking to vacate and he's not gonna be evicted. He's on that throne and here's who he is. He is our our Lord. He is our God and He is Almighty. I'm glad there's omnipotence in an eternal place that has my back tonight. I'm glad God is still in control. I'm glad God's the one that directs our steps. I'm glad God's the one who directs the heart of the King. I'm glad God knows all about it. I'm glad He's in power tonight. Those golden streets are something, but not like this throne. Thank God He's powerful. The galaxies in His control. The oceans in His control. The weather in Al Gore's control, in his control. 
Tonight we don't serve some weak anemic, needing a leg up, a mulligan, a head start kind of God. We got a God who is the Almighty. He's the God that can heal somebody that the doctor said has no hope. He's the God that can save somebody that everybody else thinks can't get saved. He's the God that can restore the prodigal that's gone so far out, even their own family thinks they'll never come home. Amen. He's the God that can part the Red Sea. He's still the God that can shut the mouths of lions. He doesn't need a way because he is the way. Amen. He'll make a way. I'm glad he's the God that can topple the giants and pull down the walls and quench the fire. I'm glad he's still in control tonight. I understand there's a lot to be discouraged about. I listen to enough preaching and I'm supposed to be discouraged. Average preacher in America ought to be a pep rally leader for pessimists. I mean, they get up there and tell you how it can't be done, how God's got cancer or something like that. But that's not the God I serve in my Bible. He's alive and well. He's where he's ever been. I'm not looking to get discouraged. I'm encouraged because he's on the throne. He's powerful. The number three, I like this, he's everlasting. What do you mean? It says, which was and is and is to come. Now listen, we just figured out exactly who it is on this throne. Because if you read your Bible, the beast just told us who it is on the throne. It's not even open for debate. We don't even have to ask the question. Because if we just look at the scripture and compare scripture to scripture, it gives us the answer. Because if you go back to Revelation chapter number 1 and verse number 4, it tells us right here, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, which was, and which is to come. Wait a minute. Then you go to Revelation 1 verse number 8. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, I'm sorry, this isn't going to be politically correct. It might upset somebody. It is not Allah on the throne. It is not Buddha on the throne. It is not Confucius on the throne. It is not Hillary on the throne. She's on the one down below. Say amen right there in her pantsuit. Anyway, that's where she's at. I understand this won't be palatable to our cancel culture and liberally, you know, sensitive nation today. But I'll tell you who's on that throne. You say, what's his name? I'll tell you his name. His name is Jesus. That's who's on the throne. He's the lamb that was rejected and despised, but thank God now he's the lamb who's on the throne in eternity. You say, who is it? It's Jesus, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who's coming again. He's from everlasting to everlasting God. Thank God as John saw those stones, they spoke all about Jesus. He saw those stones around that throne. He talked about the jasper look and the sardine look, and you know that on the high priest, on his breast, he'd have those stones there. That was the first stone and the last stone there on those rows of stone. One represented Reuben. One represented Benjamin. Reuben's name means behold a son. Benjamin's name means the son of my right hand. Everything about the throne speaks about Jesus. Isn't that amazing tonight that our Savior's there on the throne. He's in the beginning. Was the Word. He's Alpha and Omega. He is first and last. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He did not get his start in Bethlehem. He was long before Bethlehem. 
him. His birth certificate doesn't have a date on it because there never was a day when he started. His story wasn't over at Calvary and it didn't end at an empty tomb. I'm glad he's got the keys of death and hell and he's alive and will be forevermore. I'm glad it wasn't over at the ascension and I'm glad it's not done right now. But one of these days we'll see him. We'll go home to be with him. And then thank God after seven years of tribulation we'll ride shotgun on white horses as he comes back with many crowns on his head and a vesture dipped in blood on his the name on his is the word of God. He's faithful and true and thank God he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. Holy, holy, holy but he's Lord God Almighty. You say who is that? That's Jesus on the throne. He's everlasting tonight. His word is everlasting. His love is everlasting. His salvation is everlasting. His life is everlasting. His promise is everlasting. Heaven is everlasting. And now you and I because of Jesus are everlasting as well. Thank God he's on the throne. He's holy, yes. Jesus is Lord, yes. He is almighty, yes. He is God, yes. And he's everlasting. John's first stop wasn't all the stuff we sing about. All that's good. But I think it's almost like you saying if everything else is going to get in perspective, you've got to make your, your way to the throne first. Because once you see the throne, everything else kind of just fits. If you and I look too low, we're going to be discouraged. But every once in a while, if we just set our affections on things above and realize that, listen, no matter what it's like down here, everything's all right in my Father's house. Everything's working on time, running just fine up there. I think it'd help us a little bit. Probably tomorrow, God's going to test me on my message. <laughs> probably. And probably you too. But we need to remember, hey, listen, above all this, there's a throne. And God is still there. And everything's all right on heaven's side of things. I remember reading the illustration about a little poor boy. He couldn't afford to buy this toy, so he'd just go to the toy store and just look through the glass, you know, just kind of look there through it. And he did it day after day after day, and finally the toy store owner got sorry for him and gave him that toy. And that little boy just stood there and began to cry, and he said, Son, I thought you'd be excited you got the toy. He said, I'm, I'm thankful. He said, I just can't get over how good it is now that the glass is in between. Yeah. Right now we see through a glass darkly. That's right. But thank God one of these days there won't be any glass between it. Until then, we just got to stay in that Bible and remind ourselves he's on the throne. Listen, I'm going to pray. I don't really have a good hook to that just to tell you it'd be good for you to look at the throne every once in a while. Maybe it'd be this. Maybe you've caught yourself like her testimony looking low. And you need to come talk to the Lord and say, Lord, help me get my focus back on things above. He's still there tonight. You can trust Jesus. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. We'll have an invitation. Thank you for coming tonight. I pray God will help you. <clears throat> Maybe there's some things going on in your life that have been redirecting your focus too low. You've let them steal your attention away from the one who deserves it. You found yourself kind of frantic and fearful and unsettled because your eyes are in the wrong place. Why don't you come talk to the Lord about that tonight? Altars open. Folks have already started coming. Why don't you step out? This is Friday night. This is the last invitation of this week of meetings. Have you come to the altar of done business with God? If not, this is your time to come right now tonight. Would you step out and come? Use this altar tonight. If God spoke to your heart, altars open. You got some things in your life, discouraging things, maybe some 
questions. I don't know what it is, but something that's been soaking up, sucking up all your attention, your focus, too low. Why don't you come then? I can talk to the Lord about it. Brother Sam, sing whenever you're ready. Altar's open. You come.